I am Danika. And I am Myra. And this is the Black Women Healing Podcast. A space to discuss mental wellness. A space to dive into soul care and vulnerability. Here, we will support you on your journey as you focus on your healing. While also giving you the work along the way. Welcome to Black Women Healing Podcast. Do you love your natural hair, but also enjoy the flexibility of wigs? Then check out PromptlyPolished.com, an e-commerce site connecting you to emerging black hair and beauty brands. Whether you're looking for a custom wig or natural hair care products, you can shop from a variety of black-owned brands. Check out PromptlyPolished.com and receive 10% off your purchase with the code SHOPBLACK. Hey, y'all. We're back with another episode of Black Women Healing Podcast, and we have a special guest on here today, Kenya. And to get started, and we have Shyla. <laughs> she just wants to thank you. So as usual, to get started, we ask a random discussion question. Um, oh my gosh, what's a cool discussion question? If you could make a drink, since we were talking about drinks, what okay. would be your ideal drink that you would make or put a spin on? Okay. Um, you know what though? I just had a drink. Um, a bartender was like mixing something up and it was a combination that I was really surprised by how good it was. Uh-huh. So she made um it was some Jaeger with um some tangere, some gin, and some like simple syrup. That sounds dangerous. Like pinch, yes, with a pinch of um what does she have in there? Pineapple. And the only thing that I told her, I was like, you know, what would really make this bomb is a mint leaf. So that's my addition. Mm-hmm. Added a little mint leaf in there. And that was probably one of the best drinks I've had. But yeah, I mean, the Jaeger, she didn't tell us initially it was Jaeger. She was like, just try it and see how you like it. And then she told us later. So that would probably be my um, little remix-ish of a drink to make a nice little summer refreshing thing to get started. Ooh, okay. So yesterday I had a Mai Tai for the first time and I wish it had a little bit more fruit in it. So I think I would blend it with like maybe some frozen mango or like a mango puree or like a pineapple because I feel like it just needs a little extra to it. Like it's good, but I feel like I like it a little more sweet. So I think that's what I would do for sure. That sounds really good. That sounds like a really good drink. Yeah, I was on this pina colada kick, but yeah, I was pina colada and a little too much. <laughs> like, people were coming over, I was like, you want a pina colada? <laughs> so that burned me out. So onto something new. All right, y'all. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce our guest today. Kenya Johnson is a career educator and a work-life strategist who envisions creating a better world of work. A graduate of Howard University. Woo, okay. Kenya is a trained health educator specializing in community interventions, program management, and people development. As a founder and CEO of, how do I say this correctly? Aclair Vision? Aclair. Aclair. Aclair Vision, okay. Kenya's mission is to make work enjoyable for everyone by encouraging employees to be well and organizations to treat them well, yes. Her work as a career educator has had partnerships with the District of Columbia's Marion-based Summer Youth Employment Program, BCR Tech, Secret Miracles Unlimited, and several other workforce development programs. As a master's candidate of Bowie State University, Kenya furthers her education through research and study to create a culture where workers are valued just as much as the work they produce. Wow. We need more people like you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So to kick us off, can you tell us what sparked your interest in this topic? 
Um, it actually started because of my master's program. I was doing some research on um, just like the history of Black women at work. And I came across a resource from Lean In. Um, mm. And it was titled uh, The State of Black Women in Corporate America. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know, Lean In is like an initiative founded by Sheryl Sandberg. She's the uh, COO of Facebook. And every year they do this report called Women in the Workplace. And that report is like one of the largest studies of women in corporate America. So by the time 2020 rolled around, they had talked to like over close to like 600 companies and interviewed like, I want to say like about a quarter of a million employees to get like the data um, for this report. So after doing it for five years, they realized they saw like a trend within the information. And the biggest thing that they saw was um, uh, it literally on the report, it says like the workplace is worse, worse for black women. Mm. And when I started looking at the numbers, I was just astonished astonished because as a black woman and a black woman who has been in like corporate spaces nonprofit spaces like I was familiar with the idea that I was treated differently but seeing it on paper like just the numbers wow. in itself really just it was it was like almost like a slap in the face to a certain extent because it was just like whoa like I'm thinking it was just me even the work that I had done with my clients a lot of it originally was just like resume building and helping people switch careers but I knew from those experiences that a lot of my clients who were black women were struggling and having issues that were unique to us so it, it really opened my eyes to what was going on just in the workplace and it made me want to um do more to figure it out because you know as you said in my bio my whole thing is like making work enjoyable for everyone making sure that like we can have careers and not have to suffer um mm -hmm. while having careers and so when I learned that black women are essentially like in danger at work it really shifted my focus to want to talk about and bring awareness to the fact that this isn't okay and there are different things that we can do about it yes yes so as y'all hear Kenya talk we're going to be talking Talking about the emotional tax black women pay at work today and so you're kind of already talking about like you know you getting your footing in it but I'm wondering um if you could tell us what is emotional tax black women pay at work if you could like yeah. really pinpoint it out because I feel like I know it but I want everybody else to hear it too right you know to make it plain black women pay a tax for not being white and not being male mm. like that's as plain as it, oh, it can hurts. get Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's that and but unfortunately the reason that that is is something that that report pulled out. We don't have a lot of leadership in these corporate spaces. Mm -hmm. So for most black women um I believe in the report, it was probably about 49% of Black women feel that their race and their ethnicity make it harder for them to get a raise, a promotion, anything to kind of advance in their career compared to like 3% of white women and 11% of women overall. And what that translates into is a real reality that we don't see a lot of Black women in senior leaderships at mm -hmm. these organizations. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you know, it's probably about 1% of Black women that are in VP roles and C-suite roles, whereas white men make up about 57% of VP roles and 68% 
of C-suite roles. So, you know, like th- that's a huge difference, right? Winning it. Yes. And, you know, and putting that into perspective, if we had 100 vice presidents in one room, that will mean that 57 of them will be white men. One will be a black woman. Um, If we had 100 C-suite executives in a room, 68 of them will be white men and one will be a black woman. Like that's intimidating. You know, it's very much apparent in the culture of work that we don't have that representation and it's deeper than us just being um at the table or having a seat at the table because we are not making key decisions and white men are drastically overrepresented in leadership we don't see ourselves in policies we don't see ourselves in work cultures so when it comes to the tax the tax is a consequence of not having anyone in these positions being able to advocate for us in our lived experiences. And it affects, you know, the 10 plus million Black women that are in the labor force right now, because our experiences are unique and our concerns are unique, but they're not able to be heard or addressed by anyone. Yes, yes. So it's making me wonder because I know for me, once I graduated from grad school, I was very intentional about wherever I'm going, like for work, I need my supervisor to be black and I need her to be a black woman that gets it. Cause you know, not all skin folk is skin folk, right? Exactly. So I was very intentional about that. And I'm in this space where she gets it. And I feel like she's created a culture where other people try to get it. And so I feel like they're respectful of me as a black person, but it's making me wonder about like your experience. Do you feel like you purposefully look for jobs that you know cater to the needs of being a black woman like how are you navigating this and maybe what are tips that you give other black women to navigate this because I know it's not that easy to just find a job where your supervisor is black I live in San Diego where it's not a big black community so even find this lady was like a unicorn anyway right right I definitely think so in my personal experiences um because I wasn't aware of the tax while I was navigating kind of my post-grad situation I wasn't necessarily looking for safe black woman spaces I was just kind of looking for black spaces mm-hmm. um which I have found are different there there's a, there's a nuance within that um so for me personally in most of my jobs that I've had I have had to navigate the work as a black woman at work and not necessarily having um the same almost like adaptation and just inclusiveness that I needed to be able to succeed at work. I've been fortunate in that most of my managers have been Black women and they have all been like awesome, taught me so much, um, really advocated for me throughout my career. And even with having Black women managers, the culture of the organizations still didn't necessarily support Black women. So when I work with my clients, one of the things that I try to get them to do is, it's really important to do career research. Like you said, like being intentional about like what type of space do you want to be in? Mm -hmm. Most Black women I know want to be around other Black women. Mm -hmm. Um, So that research looks like if you find a company that has a job listing, going to see either on their company page or on LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. how many Black women are within this organization. Mm -hmm. And as you've mentioned, you know, that's still hit or miss because even if it is another black woman there because it's almost this like crabs in the barrel mentality and that 
only so much of us succeed at these organizations. Sometimes it creates a competitiveness within us that doesn't make us have the supportiveness, the collective work um, and the inclusiveness that we need to make these psychologically safe spaces that work. So I definitely, it's, it's almost trial and error, you know, in an ideal world, we would be able to, you know, have like an app or something like that specifically for Black women. And it's just like, this is a Black woman safe organization. Um, but as of right now, it really is about doing the research um, beforehand, not just applying, which is a tax in itself because other people don't have to do that. You know, other people don't right. have to make sure that it's, this is an environment that will be okay for me, that I'm not going to get burnt out or abused or tormented while working here. It's just, they just want a job, they get a job and they can work wherever they want to work. Mm. Man, you, you, yeah, <laughs> you talking your stuff, girl, you are on it. Um, it's making me think about why do you feel like, I don't know how I'm trying to ask this question because it's just making me think about how black women just work so hard. And so it makes me wonder, do sometimes they not even realize what they're experiencing sometimes? Like, so what are some of the signs to help them recognize that? Like if somebody's listening to this episode for them to be like, oh, okay, I am having some, you know, struggles at work. I am paying some emotional tax. Yeah, I for the most part, emotional tax kind of shows up in the way that most trauma shows up. It's, it's a career trauma. Um, and it's an injury, in um, a mental injury for a majority of uh, people who experience this. And a lot of the, um, I guess, symptoms usually mimic that of anxiety or depression. So you might have like more extreme symptoms of anxiety where you have like panic attacks or emotional outbursts. Like you might either be really angry sometimes or maybe you're just crying at your desk and you can't really, it may have been a situational type thing, but it could also be that you just feel this pressure on you to perform in a certain way. Um, milder symptoms might be things like digestive issues. Like if you have a meeting every Tuesday and you notice that your stomach is hurting every Tuesday, that is likely some form of trauma kind of creeping up on you or having headaches. I remember I had a um, manager, she would get headaches all the time, like migraines all the time, but it was because of the workspace that we were in. It was literally making her sick. Um, people might have like muscle spasms or chest pains or palpitations, things like that. So the anxiety part definitely shows up and it likes to manifest in a psychological way, but also a physiological way. With the depression symptoms, people might experience like disinterest or demotivation. You might find that you were really, really excited about being at this job. And then as you kind of navigated learning the job and learning the organizational culture, and then you kind of got good at the job a little bit, you're now entering this phase where you're like frustrated with it, or it's boring, or it's just not doing what it used to do for you. Mm -hmm. um, and then you might have trouble concentrating. You might be making like really small mistakes that you weren't making before. Like your attention to detail just isn't necessarily there. Mm -hmm. And outside of that, you could have changes in your appetite, changes in your habit. You might withdraw from relationships, from coworkers, even your own family and friends. You yeah. might have somewhat of a detachment with that, trouble sleeping. You might sleep too much, too little, or just overall feel exhausted. And then there are the deeper sides of it where it's like, 
you might start feeling guilty or hopeless or worthless, you know, that overall sadness and melancholy. And for some people, it gets to a certain extreme where you might even be having suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideation because you just feel as though you're in this space that you can't get out of. Because a lot of us are working because we need to pay bills. You know, that's that's it. You know, right. most of us, if we didn't have to work, we probably wouldn't be working right now. So if you're in a place where you are emotionally insecure at work and it's coupled with financial insecurity and you just feel like all of these things are piling on you, you might not want to do it anymore. And, you know, sometimes when people think about suicidal ideation, they might think that it is like, oh, I'm going to harm myself right now. And it's, it's not always like that. It's just uh, it can overall be a feeling. I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. This is exhausting. I'm tired. Like that, that phrase right there is probably one of the biggest signs of emotional tax where you're just like, I'm tired. Like I can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so those symptoms usually show up for us, but because it's so many different things that exhaust and tax Black women in life, we may not even be able to pinpoint that it's worth, right. but a lot of the times it is. Right, right, and it's important for us to, I mean, your job doesn't have to be amazing, but you at least need to right. be able to feel okay at work because I feel like it spills over into personal life. If you yes. don't feel okay at work and, you know, you want to be able to show up in your personal life also and enjoy your personal life, and so it's making me, if you even have the answer, because I feel like, how do you even answer this? But how can you separate personal life from work life? So that way you're not taking the stressors of work home. Yeah, I think a part of that question is almost, we can't separate work and life. You know, it, it's I not really possible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like we can't really separate it because work is life. Like work is, it's not your whole life, but mm -hmm. work is a subset of your life. And I think the way that we talk about like work-life balance is almost kind of misconstrued in a way that it makes it seem like those are two separate entities and mm -hmm. they're not they're mm -hmm. integrated they they have to have some type of they do have to have a, a harmony and a balance but work becomes the subset of your entire life exactly. so like you said when you do have issues at work they can kind of pull over into your life but the way to I guess mitigate that um is to recognize where the trauma is coming from you know where those experiences are coming from yeah. um because if if work is making you feel a way that you pour that that pours over into like your personal life and your personal relationships and things like that we probably need to get rid of work like it mm -hmm. we don't necessarily need to be in that particular space anymore because it's harmful for you mm -hmm. it's not psychologically safe um and I think for a lot of us because um just emotional abuse is really hard to recognize sometimes because it's not like physical abuse. Somebody isn't putting their hands on you. You know, you don't necessarily have the same type of physical bruises that you would in a situation where you are being emotionally abused or emotionally taxed and things like that. Um, however, it does have a, because it's so secret in a sense, it's insidious and it seeps into all of these different places. And so if you can't pinpoint 
where it starts, you're not going to be able to end it. And it's always going to pour over into different things. It's, it always is. Because think about the, the hardest working person you know, right? Probably mm-hmm. a Black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and the hardest working person you know likely has trouble balancing being so hardworking and making time for their personal life. Exactly. They miss a lot of things. They might miss birthdays, events, um, just going a lot out. Of having kids too. Yep. Missing and out on kids, yep. all of those things. Yeah. And because of that, you know, that's a that's a symptom of that tax too. Even um like overachieving and perfectionism, mm-hmm. that's that is a symptom of that tax, but it's also a symptom of uh, imposter syndrome. A lot of people, especially Black women, don't fully realize that perfectionism is a sign of imposter syndrome because you want to be so perfect. You don't feel like you have an opportunity to be able to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't feel like you have an opportunity to, um, do trial and error and test things out or not be the best. Um, even within that report, I, I had to look back at the number, but it was several Black women that mentioned they didn't feel like they could make mistakes at work because they felt constantly watched, not even just by their men. That a lot. Yes. And I mean, it's, it's sad. It's sad. It's unfortunate. And the most important part of all of this is not to be like, oh, Black women have it so hard and, you know, our lives are so difficult and we have it worse at the workplace. It's more so about bringing about the awareness so that we can stop because we don't have to do this. Exactly. (laughs) We don't have to suffer. Exactly. Exactly. My friends always say I'm so hardworking and I always tell them I'm hardworking when I'm at work. <laughs> but if it's if I'm not working, work is staying at work because, like right. you said, like it is a part of your life, and I think the same can be said for you know socializing too, because that could overwork you also. You know, you got to pour it back into your own cup. So I think it's really important. I love how you're saying it's a part of your life because people make it seem like you know work is here, life is there. When it's like, yeah. oh, it's all integrated into each other. And if you look at it in that way, I feel like it's more harmful to yourself because then you beat yourself up even more when you're struggling to separate the two. So exactly. I really, really like that. Um, I'm thinking about when I'm on Instagram a lot, I see oftentimes Black women in entrepreneurship talking about how so much is expected from them and how, you know, if one thing doesn't go well, how they're like attacked. And so, you know, I'm wondering, cause we're talking about in the workplace and entrepreneurship is not a typical workplace. So I'm yeah. wondering your thoughts about black women in entrepreneurship and the emotional tax that they pay. Yeah. Well, one part of it is a lot of black women entrepreneurs, them even becoming an entrepreneur is a part of that tax too. Um, yes, that's, that's the word, you know, <laughs> it, it. listen, it's a part of that tax because most black women entrepreneurs if you have a conversation with them one of the first things that they will say is i wanted the freedom and i wanted the flexibility now you have to ask yourself some questions because a lot of times when you talk to entrepreneurs most women will say freedom um but when you talk to like white male entrepreneurs 
nothing about that is saying like I wanted freedom and I wanted flexibility they had an idea they wanted to innovate something they wanted to do something differently but it wasn't necessarily the culture of where they were working that pushed them into entrepreneurship that's something that's very unique for women and specifically um, as well as black women um, and a lot of black women that become entrepreneurs become entrepreneurs because they can't do it anymore um, like I was saying Black women usually plateau in their career very early. And this happens a lot of the times because we will come in, um, come into our career like entry level and almost get fast tracked to a certain extent. So we might become managers five, seven years into our career, but we kind of stay there. You, you don't really see, a, especially at larger organizations, you might not really see a lot of black women directors or a lot of black women, again, in those VP senior leadership roles because we plateau and it's not us, it's not our abilities or anything like that. But a lot of times black women don't receive support from their managers. They don't get an opportunity to do like professional development or leadership development, anything that could advance their careers. So what happens is for many black women, they open these businesses because they, they have the skill set. they're hardworking, they're doing all of this work for these companies, but they're not, uh, what is it called? Uh, reaping any of the rewards from the work that they're doing. It's a di disparity between the input and the output of the situation. So in many of their minds, and myself included, um, it was just like, I can do this by myself, you know, and be able to wake up at 10 o'clock in the morning and do whatever, do work however I want to do work. Um, whereas again, most other entrepreneurs are not necessarily starting businesses because of how they're treated at work. I would bet, even though Black women are the, the largest, they are opening businesses at a higher rate than any other group, white men included, um, even though that's the case, I would bet that most Black women would be okay working a job if we were psychologically safe at work, myself included. Like, I would love to have a job. Being yeah. an entrepreneur is hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> very hard it is very risky it takes up a lot of time um and if I had the opportunity to just do what I love to do with the security of a job and benefits that I didn't have to necessarily go out and pay for yeah. I would be fine with that however for me it was very taxing um because I wasn't just a black woman at work I'm chronically ill so it was like I'm black I have an illness work is stressing me out and my body is literally allergic to stress like I cannot be stressed out it does not end well for me and none of y'all that are stressing me out at this job are gonna come home and take care of me it's not worth it yeah so it just it was like I needed to leave but that's what happens with a lot of black women whether they have children and they want to make sure that um they have time for their kids and that they're able to be in their lives that's why my mom um who's been in business I want to say 20 plus years now that was a big part of her becoming an entrepreneur she was just like I want to go to my kids recital and I don't want to have to ask anybody to do yeah, that you know yeah. so it's just like again most black women are starting businesses for the sake of flexibility like they're kind of giving up the security of in the cushion of these jobs to be mm -hmm. able to be flexible and to feel safe yeah. that's really what it is like we'll say all oh, it's the money blah 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 flashy all this other stuff but for <laughs> the most part it is really because we want to feel safe and mm -hmm. we want to feel valued and unfortunately 
the best way for us to do that a lot of the times is just for us to start our own enterprises. Um, and it's it's like a plus and it's a, a delta at the mm-hmm. same time. It's, it's like, okay, it's great that we're starting businesses. And even with that, Black women still struggle when they have businesses because we don't receive the same type of support that other groups receive when they start businesses. But it goes back to what I was saying before. It's not just the culture of work that mimics white men. The culture of business mimics white men. So we don't do business the way that white men will do business. And for that reason, our businesses present in a sense as failures or immature businesses as they might call them because Mm -hmm. culturally the things that are important to us are different than what's important to other groups which is why like if you um my favorite uh, (laughs) clapback is the lip bar when they went on shark tank and they were like no this isn't a profitable business and they went on to do it their way yeah Yep, and and did it their way, but that's what happens to a lot of Black women. We get told that the things like our ideas aren't novel enough or innovative enough or whatever, and so when we pitch different to different places, a lot of times we don't get shown the same type of love that other groups get shown um, because people, I mean, not to say it like we're we're so vastly different than everybody, but a lot of times people just don't get us. Like people don't understand the culture of being a black woman um Mm -hmm. and it's really related to again our historical relationship with work and labor it's just different it's different we have different experiences with than black men and we have different experiences than other groups of women so we are kind of in this very unique space um that creates again this tax and this feeling um that a lot of people don't are not aware of even ourselves, we're not aware of, so we don't really know what to do with it yep. at this particular point. Yep. Oh, girl, you, I feel like I should have learned about this sooner because you're making me think about why can't we just follow through with our ideas? Why does it have to be, we get to a breaking point? Like you're making me think about all these things I would have done and would I have been at the job that I'm at now? And would I be a therapist? Would I be doing this? Would I be doing that? So I think that's something I want to instill in my daughter of if you have an idea, you go after it. It doesn't have to be for all the other stuff, for the flexibility. Like all that stuff is cool, but do it because, you know, it's on your mind to do it. Don't right. have it be a breaking point where you're like, I can't do this job anymore. Uh-huh. Have it be, I believe in myself and I can make this happen. Right, right. And I'm that's that's what's really important. And, and I think that's what makes it so heartbreaking is that a lot of Black women are not able to really follow their dreams and do careers that they really want to do because we get put into all of these little boxes. Mm -hmm. Um, Even for, I don't have stats on this, but this is an observation. Um, A lot of Black women businesses are usually service-based versus being product-based. And service-based businesses are usually really hard um, because it require it takes up a lot of human capital to do service based businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, if you quit for you quit your job and started a business for flexibility, you quit your job and started a business for freedom. If your main commodity is human capital in your particular time, then you don't necessarily still get the same flexibility and freedom um, if you're doing services. Mm-hmm. So. 
but on, on a job doing service-based things is perfect because that's that's your role like you are right. there to serve a particular role right. um so it what I think is important for us is to almost stop trying to kind of fit ourselves into everybody else's ideas you know what everybody else thinks that we're supposed to be we have to let go of that um because it's not gonna work for us like for real like not to again not being a downer but what works for everybody else is not going to work for us because we're not like everybody else um and I mean that in the best ways you know black women are very unique their experiences are unique it's a wide range of us we're not a monolith Mm -hmm. it's not one type of black woman um so I think it's important for us to really hone in on the things that are intuitive to us that make us feel good and doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the outside world or outside metrics you know because when we compare ourselves to those things we're not tracking well right now you know like we'll have conversations about oh black women are the most educated group amongst all groups yes absolutely and black women have more student debt than any other group mm-hmm. so it's like consequences to that black women start businesses at a higher rate than anybody else and most of our businesses are grossing less than seventy five thousand dollars a year <sighs> most black women black women are this is a statistic that always gets me okay black women make up the majority of the black labor force so we're probably about 50 percent of the black labor force um, and we have the highest labor participation rate of all women. So from the age of 16 and older, Black women, about 60% of Black women are working. Um, however, I want to say less than 9% of Black women make more than $75,000 a year. Wow. That ain't making sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how are we so active in the labor force and only 9% of us are making more than $75,000. Make any sense. So that's why when we talk about like the emotional tax, when we talk about pay gaps, when we talk about all of those things, these are very tangible things mm-hmm. that are affecting and contextualizing our lives right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading an article in DC specifically, um, Black women will make $2 million less than white men over there and dc is a a place where the income per capita is pretty high so two million dollars we are missing out on over our lifetime because of the pay gap in dc um yeah it's and you know it gets worse as you go into other other places places. yep yeah so it's just it is it's historical it's present um it's very tangible consequences of a lot of different things that we can pinpoint and we have to become aware of these things and again reject it because we're going to continue to find ourselves in these holes these financial holes the these emotional holes that we are the only ones that can dig ourselves out of because we're again not getting the same support and not getting the same resources that other groups Mm -hmm. are getting Mm -hmm. well I feel like this is just part one Right. <laughs> <laughs> to talking about this like we have to have you on again to talk about a part two because I feel like this is just scratching the surface and so as we wrap up though I'm wondering takeaways you have that could be literally anything that you want to share with our audience yeah um 
one, you know, the emotional tax is not necessarily about having a job um, or it's, it's not even really about your career overall. The emotional tax is really related to our overall relationship with work. Um, and it's important for us to know that um, career trauma does not have to be the norm for Black women. It's not okay for us to be tormented and abused at work. And in order to eliminate that emotional tax, it starts with us as individuals, it starts with community work, and it starts with systematic changes um, that helps us set boundaries in our career and get clear on what really matters so that we can be mentally well and psychologically safe at work. Um, so just understanding our relationship with work and labor and even ambition to a certain extent helps us see the tax for what it is. Um, and we're almost kind of as Black women in this state with work where we are having the taxation without re representation. Um, but the reality is we don't have to pay into this system because it doesn't support us. So we have to create our own systems that do support us um, and provide us with the wellness and peace that we need. That's, those are my biggest takeaways, you know. It's, it's, on, it's on us, but in a good way. It's on us to take care of us and to prioritize us um, because we deserve better um, and we deserve more. Yes, thank you, Kenya, for that. I think we usually do a takeaway also. And I think I will wrap up with a takeaway of if you are a black woman in leadership, make sure that you're making space for the other black women. And if you have it in your heart to even mentor them or to set aside time to check in with them, please do that because you literally never know how you might impact them. And so, you know, shout out to my supervisor. She listens to the podcast. Well, she's our director, so she's running everybody. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to her because she sees me. And so she extends an arm to me or a hand to me to make sure I'm good. Like she sets aside time for me. She, you know, she's always doing a million things but I know that I'm important for her. And I know that my success is important for her. I know that my well-being is important for her. And so other black women, if you're in those roles, please see the other black women, make space for them. And yeah. so that's how I want to wrap up this week's episode. Do you want to add anything else before we end? Um, I probably should plug something. I don't even know. Go ahead. Well, follow, yeah, I'm like, um, <laughs> follow us on Instagram, AquaVision. Um, a, nah, I'm not gonna spell it. I'll put it in I, we'll, it'll, be in, it'll be in the show notes, period. Yep. Um, but yeah, follow us. We do a lot of work um, with career wellness um, and working specifically with Black women and girls to help them understand how to be well at work and in life. Because again, those two things are co-related. Um, and we have some exciting things coming up. Um, again, just talking about the relationship between Black women labor, ambition, and how all of those things have kind of put us into this mental rigmarole that we're in at this moment. But uh, yeah, definitely just follow. Um, I'm a pretty friendly person. I like to think so. <laughs> well, y'all, yeah. I enjoyed having Kenya. And that's it for this week's episode of Black Women Healing Podcast. So y'all, we have to shout out our friends over at Fiverr. We are officially a Fiverr affiliate. And I love Fiverr because you can literally go to them for any type of project you might want to work on, whether it be if you need a new logo, you need help with the resume, you need help with social media, they help you over there. So go ahead and check out our friends over at Fiverr. That's five E-R-R. -R. So five with two R's at the end. 
So go ahead and check them out with the link in our bio and tell them that we sent you.